0: This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. Throughout history, there are reports of great awakenings and revivals. I found that revivals of the past began with a deep hunger and desire for prayer, the presence of God, and intimacy with God. Sadly, it often comes out of desperation. I remember the late Leonard Ravenhill used to say to me, God doesn't answer prayer, he answers desperate prayer. I'd like to add that word passionate prayer with that. So God answers desperate and passionate prayer. Interestingly, that desperation usually brings us to that place of passionate prayer, that brings us to a passion for God and a compassion for others. If we're honest with ourselves, uh, we must admit that our prayers frequently degenerate into little more than religious incantations and even shallow platitudes spoken out of a sense of religious duty. Yet, the Bible compares prayer with the travail of childbirth. It is, in essence, a passionate activity. A genuine passion to the Lord is a passion that allows no room for mediocrity and compromise in our lives. William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, said, I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century Will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Understanding that William Booth who was a Methodist preacher in the 1800s and founded the Salvation Army, wrote this and said this over a hundred plus years ago, and yet how prophetic that very statement is for us today, in 2019. You see, we need a renewed passion for God that gives us a compassion for others, and yet at the same time we recognize the urgency of the hour by which we need to make ourselves available in very relevant and tangible ways. I wrote down years ago, what we need is a renewed passion for God that gives us a compassion for others. How can we settle into complacency while multitudes upon multitudes of lives are in the balance of eternity? How can we be so hardened of heart as to sit back on the beach of comfort and apathy, while so many are still shipwrecked in the sea of despair. You see, I believe that fastedness and fasting and prayer, it has a way of bringing us into a place of getting ourself out of the way and bringing us into the posture of humility, drawing us near to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us, both individually and corporately, and at the same time, it exposes any compromise in our own personal lives that hinders us in confronting the serious issues of our times. It also brings us to that place of a greater sensitivity so that we won't be hardened of heart, we won't sit back in the beach of comfort and apathy, but we will be available to God and sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer said, Self is the OPEC veil that hides the face of God from us. You know, I've seen how even through the increase of social media and, and the things that we've been through and going through, that, that we've become a very self-absorbed society. we are also become very self-centered, selfish, even self-righteous. So I can see these words of A.W. Tozer being so real and so relevant today, that self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. We need God's presence and face like never before. We need His heart like never before so we can be His hands and feet to a world that desperately needs some answers and needs the presence of God. You see, when we've been cleansed of heart, we are better able to persevere in effective prayer that avails much, as Scripture says. If we're going to experience lasting change in our personal lives, our cities, our nation, and our world, we need a posture of brokenness and contrition of heart so we may have the heart of the Lord to stand in the gap for others. I wrote years ago in an article in a national publication that prayer is so much more than handing a list of requests to God. If we want earth-shaking results, we may be required to travail until, until heaven's plans become a reality on earth. I think about people like John uh, Nelson Hyde or John Hyde, some called Praying John Hyde, He was born in November of 1865, went into heaven in in February of 1912. He was an American missionary who preached in the Punjab area of of India in modern-day Pakistan today. In fact, he was a son of a Presbyterian minister called to go to India. He was part of what was called the Punjab Prayer Union, which began in 1904, and was instrumental in the birthing of the Sailcott Revival in northern India. Together... The prayer union committed themselves to the following five principles. Now, before I go into these five principles, look at something here about John Hyde or Praying John Hyde. Uh, You've probably read books about him or stories about him, but here's something about Praying John Hyde He was willing and available, he had a heart of God, he was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit to go to an area of the world that was very difficult. And when he went there, he began to have his heart broken with the things that breaks the heart of God. So he began to realize his only hope was not in the efforts of man, his own human capacity, his own intellect, but he knew he had to make it a matter of prayer to have the heart of God for the people he was called to minister to. And so together they began to start the Punjab prayer union, and they began to pray these five primary uh, uh, prayer principles. One, They would ask themselves, are you praying for quickening in your life, in the lives of your fellow workers, and in the church? Two, are you longing for greater power of the Holy Spirit in your own life and work, and are you convinced that you cannot go on without His power? And number three, will you pray that you may never be ashamed of Jesus? And number four, do you believe that prayer is the most great means for securing the spiritual awakening? And number five, will you set apart one half hour each day as soon after noon time as possible to pray for this awakening? And are you willing to pray until it comes? Wow. Talk about a commitment by these who are praying. I was sharing the story recently at Houston Baptist University at the Bible Museum there at a gathering of leaders and, and had the pleasure of being with Alex Kendrick, who's the film producer of movies like War Room and Fireproof and the newest movie, Overcomer, and also the president, uh, Dr. Robert Sloan of Houston Baptist University, and others, and I spoke, and I shared this. I, I shared the importance of a commitment to prayer, but also a place of being willing to be fasted and fasting in prayer so we could have God's heart to reach others. And I also shared during that time that as I was sharing with Uh, people like the former governor uh, Jindal from uh, Louisiana and also recently the the ambassador of the United Nations, uh, Nikki Haley, who at the time when I spoke to her, she was still governor of South Carolina back in 2015. And I I shared with both of them that they both came from the Punjab region, or their history or their ancestry are both from the Punjab region of India and modern-day Pakistan today. And I said, do you realize that the prayers... Of the Punjab Prayer Union in 1904 and from praying John Hyde that they had been praying and fasting those prayers because every audible sound, every sound wave never falls to the ground. Did you know those prayers continue to come before the throne of heaven? And so I believe that even the beneficiaries that have become the beneficiaries today through people like Governor Jindal and Governor uh, Haley that they became believers in Christ out of those kinds of prayers and prayers of others praying for them. They're the beneficiaries, and we become the beneficiaries of their leadership as Christian leaders in our nation as well. I think about uh, another person, I've shared a story before, who whose mama was praying, God, I pray someone, that you will use someone or some people to reach my son. Her son had uh, come down with HIV, hated God, hated Christians, And yet this mama's heart was broken and praying and praying and praying for her son. Ultimately, that very son, as I shared in previous podcasts, uh, who hated Christians, would harass me even and called me on a two-hour Christian talk show. And he changed his name and began to really uh, just confront us and call us all kinds of names. And I said, is this so-and-so? And And he said, "Uh, uh, yes, it is, because I recognize his voice. I said, where are all your friends when you really need them? He says, well, my friends, we stick together what are you talking about? I said, really, last month when you couldn't pay your rent or your light bill, where were your friends? He goes, how did you know about that? And you know, I I wanted to say, well, I have our way, we have our ways, but I, I said, you know, it doesn't matter how we found out, but we did find out you couldn't pay your rent and your light bill. And so I never thought we'd have to tell you this, but some of my volunteers in our little team, in our little ministry, we took up a personal offering between us, and we paid anonymously your rent and your light bill for you last month. He didn't know what to say uh, a few months later i was out in phoenix and speaking at a gathering there and i got a phone call that this particular person was in the hospital and that he had had attracted full blown aids and so i uh, asked another friend of ours who uh, was hiv positive and who had come to believe in christ I asked him if he would go to the hospital to visit this person, and he went, and the person kept saying, why would you do people do this for me? Why did you do this? Why did you pay my rent and light bill? This is from months before, and yet it still bothered him. It still ministered to his heart. Why would they do this? And and our friend Bill said, well, that's what Christians do. You know, we didn't know we'd ever have to tell you, but the Lord put it on our hearts to take the offering and, and to, to pay your rent and light bill anonymously. Well, that night, this particular person gave his life to Christ. The next day, he passed away from AIDS. And and a few months later, I was sharing that same story in another church and doing multiple services in another part of Texas. And between services, a woman comes up to me and says, "May, may I ask you a question? Because I never mentioned the person's name. May I ask you a question? I said, sure. Was his name such and such? And I looked at her. I said, yes. Did you know him? She began to weep. She goes, that was my son. I had been praying that somebody had reached my son. You see, the real issue was our simple obedience to to obey God, to do something we thought was contrary to a person who hated us. And yet God was answering the prayers of a mama. Her prayers... Did not fall to the ground. It went to the throne of heaven, and God answered her prayers. See, there's something about desperate prayer that God listens to. God hears our hearts. God's not looking for shallow platitudes or some sort of religious kind of uh, religiosity or religious incantations. He wants us to come before Him. Uh, To come before the Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and say, God, we need you. We, We need you to intervene on this situation. And God heard that prayer, just like God heard the prayers of the Punjab Prayer Union, and God heard the prayers of praying John Hyde, and God heard the prayers of this praying mama. And again as I shared I talked about the Fulton Street Revivals of 1857 some called the businessman or lay minister's revival and in 1857 there was a, a lay minister a businessman and a lay minister named Jeremiah Lamphear and I had the pleasure of being at the 150 year anniversary of that revival at the time there was 32 or 33 million people in America and yet about 2 million came to Christ through that revival And so this businessman recognized that for change to happen in his city, there had to be a desperate cry to God. His city was riddled, New York City was riddled with poverty and crime. We were on the verge of a national civil war. There was all kinds of of things going on. There was a lot of polarization. There was disease. There was alcoholism. There was crime. Uh, There was all these challenges in New York and in our country at the time. So he issued a call for others to set aside a daily time of lunch to pray and to fast. And so he called a prayer meeting, and he, people came, but that first, first time he called the meeting at noontime, within the first 30 minutes, it only had a, just a handful of people showed up. He could have become so discouraged because you're dealing with the overwhelming difficulty of the times in which he lived in his city and in this nation in 1857, and yet only two or three or four people showed up that first 30 minutes and then a handful more after that, but it didn't cause him to stop. He continued to persevere because he was desperate for God to do a work in New York City and in America at the time, and he knew there was no human capacity or ability to do it. So it started small, but he persisted, and then soon thousands were crying out daily in desperate prayer across the city of New York and in fact, within a few months, 10,000 people a day were giving up their noontime to fast and to pray for God to do something in New York City and in America. That revival spread in that city and birth. Uh, what has become known as the, the one of the initial um, social—it was called the— the evangelical social justice movement that began to come up, the Bowery Mission came out of that, the New York City Mission, uh, the Salvation Army came from Europe and came to America after that revival. We saw that the church began to take responsibility to pray, to fast, to see God's presence show up, but then also become a tangible expression of Christ to the community. It wasn't neglecting truth and the love of righteousness, it was asking God to bring us truth and righteousness to break the hearts of God's people, for God's people to make a difference and to let their light shine in a way that others would see Christ. In fact, thousands of lost souls in that city were saved as they cry out to God for salvation. And as I said earlier, that within a few months, 10,000 people a day were fasting and praying during their noontime to pray for God to move during these lunchtime prayer meetings that spread across New York City. They were confessing sins, Uh, they were being saved, they were praying for revival. And with hardly an exception, churches began to work together as one with no time for envy and strife and jealousy because they were part of something bigger than themselves. If God can answer the cries of a faithful one and the faithful ones of that day and in that city— can't we believe God to do that again for us, in our cities, in our communities? I believe we must prepare the bride through individual heart awakenings, corporate church awakenings, for a harvest awakening, so we can see an authentic, transforming revival of God that brings the reformation and awakening we're looking for. In his book, Revival, Its Principles and Personalities, a good friend of mine named Winky Prattney wrote, When God finds someone with courage to pray and live a life of holiness and compassion he can literally change the face of a nation like never before we need men and women of courage who are lovers of truth more than life itself you see charles finney said it well and i wrote that he wrote this on december 4th of 1873 and see how it fits today the pulpit is responsible brethren Our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits. If immorality prevails in the land, the fault is ours in a great degree. If there is a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the public press lacks moral discrimination the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in religion, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundation of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. Let us not be ignorant of this fact, he says, my dear brethren, but let us lay it to heart and be thoroughly awakened to our responsibility in respect to the morals of this nation charles Finney, december fourth eighteen seventy three just like William Booth, over a hundred plus years ago, the founder of Salvation Army, just like Charles Finney in eighteen seventy three They were speaking not just for their times, but how prophetic and how magnified it is today in the times in which we live. I love this. Let us not ignore this fact and be thoroughly awakened to our responsibility and respect to the morals of this nation. God answers prayer, yes. He answers desperate and passionate prayer. Let us be honest with God. Let us come before Him, and a renewed sense of his presence, a place of putting aside our self that and our self-absorption, our self-righteousness, our self-centeredness. Let's put away self and come before the living God and say, God, we are desperate for you. We need you to move in our personal lives, in our communities, in our churches, in our nation, and around the world. God, we need you more than ever before. God, would you do a work in us that renews a passion in us and gives us a compassion for others? Would God call you even—I know He's been calling me to a renewed commitment to fastedness from time. What I what do I mean by that? You know, there's different kinds of fastings, and some friends, including myself, over the, the last decades, have done 40-day fasts, and or, or three-day fasts. Some have done Esther fasts. Some have done 21-day Daniel fasts. There's various kinds of fasting and fastedness. What I mean by fastedness is this. If you would just put aside something, give God more of your time, not the— the worst of your time. We want the best from God, so why don't we give Him our best? The best of our time, the best of our day, the best of our resources, the best of our gifting, the best of our finances. So we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So all these other things that we want benefit from would be added to us. So for instead of giving us giving God the worst of our day, let's give Him the best of our day. Wake up with a heart of adoration and appreciation for God. So we start the day putting God first. Let us also not wait what we're falling asleep before we take time to get into His Word to wash our minds, but let us get to know the characteristics of the kingdom, we get to know who God really is through His Word, the reading of His Word, memorization of His Word. So when we speak, we speak His heart. We speak His Word. We speak the the characteristics of the kingdom of God, because we know that the characteristics of the kingdom emanate from the character of the king, King Jesus. So if we begin to lift up Jesus, and he is high and lifted up, he would draw all men unto himself. I ask God to give me, just like the founder of World Vision, uh, Robert Pierce, or Bob Pierce, used to pray, God, break my heart with the things that break yours. And I pray again, God, would you renew me a clean heart, a right spirit like King David prayed? God, would you would You open my heart and help me to see spiritually that I can see what's really breaking your heart so I can begin to have your heart to be a, make a difference in the world today. God, help me to be a man, and for those listening, men and women, that we could be men and women who persevere with effective prayer, that our prayers truly with the heart of God, the Holy Spirit leading in us, would touch the heart of God, would move the heart of God that would cause Him to move His hand to do great things that only He can do that our human efforts cannot do. So I'm praying for another great awakening. I'm praying for revivals to pour out and to to begin to spread across the land in our generation. But I know there's no way that man can do it. No man can get credit for it. No matter what, can put their fingerprint on it. And we desperately need God in the halls of legislation. We need God in our churches again to awaken the church. We need the uh, the truth to go forth from the pulpits of America. And as you've heard me said many, many times, but we need from From pulpits to political offices, from preachers to politicians, and all in between, we need a revival of character so we can have God pour out His Spirit upon our generation. If He can do it in generations past, out of a deep hunger and desire for prayer in His presence and intimacy with God, God can do it again. So let us just say together, God, do it again. God, do it again in my lifetime. God, do it that we won't just read about revivals of the past. We can see with our eyes all that our hearts have prayed for. So would you join me to be fasted and prayed up and take time to put God first in a posture of humility so that God can move in a way that only He can move. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.